Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined for the first time in studio by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn, recent move up to Nashville. Welcome, Michael. Hey, everybody. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. Uh, so, Michael moved up to Nashville from Florida, um, left our poor grandfather down there in Florida by himself. Um, but the whole crew is making a trip back soon down to Florida for Grandpa's wedding. Not the whole crew. Well, yeah, not the whole crew. I'm unfortunately not going to be able to make it because of uh, work-related conflicts. But um, grandpa's... His grandfather's getting married, and he's not going to be there. What a jerk. Mark, you weren't there the first time either. I was negative, I don't know how many years old. (laughs) Um, Your parents weren't even born. We wanted to call Grandpa tonight, is the moral of the story, and we got to talking and realized it was 9.45 his time, and that's far too late for Grandpa. So unfortunately, our listeners are are no longer are not going to be able to enjoy Grandpa this week. Yeah, he's a respectable 80 years old, and I, I respect him for that, and I also respect his ability to go to sleep at 8 p.m. every night, if that's what he wants to do. Um, so we're going to have to carry this baby. Yep, it's just us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks so much for listening. Um, first topic of conversation, uh, we've got a couple things that we want to cover. Um, over the past two weeks, me, Michael, and Matthew all decided to take a look at the perceived top three quarterbacks, depending on who you ask, and that is Baker Mayfield, um, Josh Rosen, and Sam Darnold. Um, so we each took a look at one of the quarterbacks and created a little draft profile, and we're going to make an argument for why the Browns to draft that quarterback, um, albeit at one or at four. But we'll say at one. Why they should draft that quarterback number one overall. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And we're going to talk about the new hiring of Scott McLuhan and what he's going to do for our draft process, what Michael and Matthew think about that hire. and Because uh, Mark doesn't know anything about it, so we're just going to rely yeah, on Yeah, you guys, you guys got it. I mean, I didn't know his name, I'm not going to lie. So, but my thing is, I think we should start off with uh, Scott McLuhan. There's another topic we have to cover. <laughs> you about to cry, Michael? Uh, I just can't keep, uh, sorry. Yeah, and then uh, we're also going to talk about Muhammad Masker. <laughs> Mark, this guy lost his left hand in an ATV accident. Why is this funny? It's funny to me because Michael's over here giggling like a little schoolgirl whenever I'm about to talk about Muhammad Masker. Poor guy. He, I mean, not poor guy. He played in the NFL, had a... Uh, somewhat of a career and like good for him congratulations but he lost his left hand and that's that's significant no i feel bad i shouldn't be laughing um i've got the giggles there's no doubt about it you're three beers deep is the problem um (laughs) megan he's had a half a beer and he's fine um so we we were the the most interesting part about that to me is that they never really talk about how he actually like mutilated his hand like they just say an atv accident and it's supposed to be like self-explanatory how you could like lose a hand in an atv accident like i lost control of the atv and then got all four fingers on my left hand amputated it's like you know how that is (laughs) (laughs) we've all been there like no like i have no idea what happened transpired in that horrible and now it just makes me wonder like how terrible like was it like it's like they're avoiding a topic that they just like can't talk about in the video in the video he makes a comment he's like 
And as I'm telling you, I'm telling you from my perspective of what I remember. But yeah. like my friends were watching and were viewing it, and like what their reaction happened. was based on what actually happened. Which what actually happened is what is clearly being left in the dark. Like they are <laughs> not revealing what actually happened because it was clearly a very gruesome we, and brutal thing. Can we get one of Muhammad Masakwa's friends on the pod? <laughs> yeah, it would be <laughs> yeah. To, to break this down step us, by step. Tell us what happened. Muhammad now, doesn't seem to remember. Now, a really real thing, though, as we were talking about this, is how lucky this dude is. So he was able to keep his thumb. Yep. That's which a is, huge which thing. Is clutch. If you're going to keep a finger, you want to keep the thumb. It distinguishes us from the animals. Yeah. <laughs> the thumb is huge. Thumb is a big deal. Matthew's dog doesn't have a thumb. It can't do anything. Nothing. It can't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> not only did he keep his thumb, it's also his left hand, not his right hand, yep. where he lost the four fingers. Do we know that he's right-handed? Um, There's an eighty percent chance. I mean, pretty, pretty. I, we don't okay. know, but okay. we're assuming. We're assuming. He's right-handed so. now, and <laughs> we know that for a fact. No, no doubt. All right, so I asked the very. <laughs> this is awful. Anyway, I asked the very legitimate question. Uh, Muhammad Masqua is a former Browns wide receiver. Um, played on the elite wide receiving core with Brian Rubisky and um, other just elite Browns receivers. Oh. It was Josh Cribbs, Brad Rubisky, Muhammad Masqua at yeah. one point. Just elite. Oh, brutal. Which, anyway. Cribbs, Cribbs, all-time Brown. Terrible wide receiver. Couldn't yeah. run a route to save his life. But anyway, this is my question to Matthew and Michael. If would you sacrifice – because it's not his whole hand. It's not his whole left hand. It's just four fingers. He's got um, animatronic <laughs> fingers on his left hand. He, so – would you sacrifice your left hand, all four fingers, for a Browns Super Bowl? Right now, Michael, stop laughing, would you? Yes, I would do it. Yeah, you would. That's a true I would, Browns fan. I would, I would keep my six fingers, and I would celebrate the Browns' victory in the would Super Bowl. Would you give up your right hand my life. fingers? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. I mean, I just can't imagine day-to-day working, writing, like... Typing like every would, single like it really would be pretty miserable. That would be if it was my right hand. That would be a huge hurdle. Matthew, how big of a Browns fan are you? I know you wanted no more parameters. Just answer the question. No, probably not. I think I care more about myself than the Browns. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, it's on Matthew's, the record. Matthew's true colors come out. Um, but but I said I I said that if it was that. I give up my fingers or the Browns like never win the Super Bowl, then I'm, I might do it. But but I wouldn't like be like, oh yeah, I'll trade my four fingers for a Super Bowl next year. Yeah. Because you're pretty young at this point. If it was yeah, like, I've, I've got a good like, 45 like, years left. If it was like at any point, <laughs> that's ambitious. But if it was like at any point in like your... You don't think Matthew's going to no, live to 73? No, I don't. I, mean, I think he's going to make it to 73. I mean, his... With his BMI and level of just like scoliosis that I think he probably has, I don't know what's going to happen in the next twenty years. But has no, anyone ever died of scoliosis? <laughs> complications. <laughs> um, but what I'm saying is, if, if it was like you're going to lose four fingers in your left hand in your forties, like I wouldn't even think twice. I would do it immediately. Um, but it, I'm 24. I mean, know, like you don't really need things after your forties, right? Like you're in your forties. No, I mean you. That's why you have you have your kids to do those things for you. Yeah, after I'm forty, I'm just getting tattoos. 
You nice. can tell we're having a good good time tonight uh, recording the podcast. Yeah, we're like, celebrating Michael moving to Nashville and it being his first podcast in the studio. All right, what's our next topic? All right, well, no, I just want to say that I would do it. I would do it for Browns Nation. I would do it for the dog pound. I would get all four of my fingers and my left hand chopped off could for us we, to win a Super Bowl. Could we film this and make it pod content? I mean, if they could guarantee a Super Bowl, yeah, sure. Um, anyway. I'll, I'll, let's t- talk to Jimmy. We have a lot of pod content that we're going to throw in. Now that Michael lives here in Nashville, we're definitely going to film him throwing a football for your viewing pleasure. Um, it's not for the faint of heart, so view at your own discretion. Um, and I think his like three-year-old can throw a football better than he can, we, probably. He's we, lefty, too. It's pretty. It's, it looks a lot prettier, for That's sure. That's awesome. We have a, a few other videos that we said we were going to post, but in the meantime, we are going to talk about this quarterback debate, okay? So... We split up the QBs. Uh, Michael randomly selected who was going to talk about which QB. Matthew is providing the case that the Browns should draft Baker Mayfield number one overall. Michael is fighting for Josh Rosen. And I am fighting for your boy, Sam Rosen. Sam Rosen. Sam Rosen, Hmm. yes. Um, The well-known Sam Rosen. Um, (laughs) Sam Darnold, of course. A little slip up. Um, But Sam Darnold is actually our boy. Um, so, Matthew, give me your best case for why the Browns should go for Baker Mayfield number one overall over these other guys. Look, well, if, if Baker Mayfield was six foot two and a half, six foot three, which would make him two inches taller than he is now, I don't think there would be a doubt in people's mind if you looked at his tape and looked at his production on where he would be drafted. Um, the knocks on Baker Mayfield at this point on the football field have primarily revolved around the fact that he's only six foot and change. Um, he showed up to the Senior Bowl. He measured in at six foot and three eighths, I think, which is right where everybody expected. Um, but at this point in the NFL, the way that the rules have changed and the way that they've changed for like hitting quarterbacks and opening up like passing lanes for receivers, I. I genuinely don't think it's as big a deal if you're small. And we've seen this with some quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and um, even Case Keenum this year. Case Keenum's only 5'11". And, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think Case Keenum's a great NFL quarterback. But for him to be able to do what he did with the Vikings... We took him to the NFC Championship game. um, He was more than serviceable. And I don't think he's an unbelievable skillful. And he actually played in a system a heck of a lot similar to Baker Mayfield's in college. Um, okay, so so you say that the height's not a factor. Tell me about why, if he was six three, yeah, he would be undeniably the number one. Pick. So when you watch when you watch Baker Mayfield, you you see a couple different things. Um, the the first thing that you like stands out is his accuracy. Even on a majority of the passes that end up incomplete, um, his wide receivers have a chance. Um, he's he's not it's not Deshaun Kaiser like we watched this season where. It's a throw downfield, and his wide receivers don't even have a chance. Um, it's it's there. His receivers either get their hands on it, or the defender makes a great play to knock it down, or something else comes into play where it becomes an incomplete pass. Um, but his receivers have a chance, which is huge. You you can't succeed as an NFL quarterback if your receivers don't have the possibility of catching the ball. Um, I think. Baker Mayfield is elite in the Russell Wilson sense of being able to use his movement and athleticism and keep his eyes down the field to keep a play alive. 
Uh, Baker Mayfield's a tremendous athlete, but he's by no means a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, he's not Mike Vick. He's not Vince Young. He's not Warren Moon or even Steve Young, probably. Um, but he can use his athleticism and his quickness to get and find, break the pocket, find open passing lanes. But he always keeps his eyes downfield, which opens up some really easy throws down the field. Because when those plays break down, the secondary breaks down as well. And if you can spot that open guy, you can hit an easy throw for 40, 50 yards. The Johnny Manziel effect. <laughs> I, I hate that comparison for so many reasons. But Tell us why it's uh, not a good comparison. Yeah, about but, but what you just said is exactly why Johnny Manziel succeeded in college. It, it is why Johnny succeeded in college. Um, I don't think Johnny did a great job of keeping his eyes downfield all the time. Uh, he would he would drop his head, run around, and then pick his eyes back up. Yeah, he's a spaz um, in the pocket. Yeah, what what Baker is able to do is is keep his eyes in the pocket, and he's actively engaged with the secondary um, the the whole time throughout the play. Um, and even in college, you saw Johnny throw balls up like to Mike Evans, just 50-50 balls that Mike Evans was just bigger and stronger than. They're kind of the like seventy-five, twenty-five balls when Mike Evans is on yeah. the other side. Yeah, uh, you don't see Baker make a lot of those throws. I I watched three full games of Baker Mayfield, and uh, he I counted six interceptable balls. Um, only two of them ended up being interceptions. So so he got I I don't know what the rate on those normally are, but probably fifty-fifty. So he he probably got a a touch lucky, but not a ton of interceptable passes. Um, coming coming off of his hand. So my question on Baker Mayfield is related to the system that he's running. Like Lincoln Riley, I feel like Lincoln Riley deserves a lot of credit for Baker Mayfield being as good and successful sure. as he's been. Like, from I know you watched a few some tape and we're diving into it a little bit more closely than I was able to observe him over the course of the college season. Probably like, what? How do you think that he'll translate? to an NFL system more honestly thinking about the Browns like how do you think he would translate to a Hugh Jackson offense so I whatever we think our offense is going to look like next year um, with the new coaching staff I think he has an NFL skill set I actually think he fits a Todd Haley offense wonderfully if if Todd Haley gets a little more influence into the system because what Todd Haley was able to do with the Steelers um, is do some quick throws, do wide receiver screens, do running back screens, quick throws to the back and the backfield. Um, and honestly, Baker did a ton of that, and he excels at that because he's able to put the ball in a position that enables yards after the catch. Um, his, his accuracy is not only defined by like fitting it into a tight window downfield. Um, but where he, he, he reads, he reads and understands coverage and what's yes. going on and where his guy's going yeah. to be. Where and he, he anticipates. Yeah, where he excels is being able to lead his receiver um, into that open space, lead him, even the running back like on a on a wheel route or, or whatever you want to look at. Um, he can lead it in open space. I think he would do tremendous in uh, Todd Haley type offense because he's done a lot of that. Um, Oklahoma did a lot of. Uh, <clears throat> wide receiver screens, running back out of the backfield, um, little like delay tight end, like wiggles out out down the middle, like a seam route, a delayed seam route, um, where he's just on it 
and just puts it right on yep. the right on the money and lets their guy run for extra 20, 30 yards, even if there's a defender right there um, because the pass is so accurate. So um, I was thinking about Baker Mayfield for some reason, even though he wasn't my assignment for this particular activity. And the knock on him, like as you led with, is his size. And everyone says you don't see quarterbacks succeed in the NFL except for Drew Brees and Russell Wilson that are sub, you know, around six foot, like sub six two. And my argument against that is what are what quarterbacks have you seen that have made it to the NFL at that size that have failed? Right? Like so my point is is the quarterbacks like that are good enough and know what to do and know how to manipulate the pocket know how to anticipate reads like you're saying Baker Mayfield is able to do. Like, which ones have made it this far and shown the skill set and ability to play at the NFL level that have failed? No, because I you're talking it's... you're talking about Case Keenum. You're talking about Drew Brees. You're talking about like, guys as tiny as Doug Flutie. Like, these quarterbacks have been doing it. Doug, Doug Flutie, Flutie was like 5'9". Five, five, oh, <laughs> very, very small. But Doug very, Flutie very small. also did but not Doug succeed was... in the NFL to the caliber that he succeeded in college football. Like... But he was way the heck better than any... He was any, in the league any, for 12, 14 years. He was way the heck that. better than any Browns quarterback. Like, I would take Doug Flutie in a heartbeat, oh, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yep. And so my point is, is if you get this far, and I know my role in this is probably to try to shoot holes in Baker Mayfield and make you defend them, but like I've really been dwelling on this, is somebody that makes it this far and is clearly showing the qualities of an NFL-caliber quarterback, I don't... I am having a hard time pointing to examples of guys that are that size that have failed. I now, granted, can't think of any. But that's a be- logical fallacy because you you can't think of the people that don't succeed because you don't hear true, about them. True, true. Like, no, it, it is, like, it is there, difficult. There could, be, there could be countless number. I but, think it's a logical fallacy that everyone's pointing to the height as an issue because everyone's just saying it's the a quarterback. Self, it's a self-selection bias where. Uh, like inherently, there are more tall NFL quarterbacks because it's easier to play the position, and so when you get a shorter NFL quarterback, it's harder to view like find comps, right? Because there are fewer people who've done it to well, succeed. Because it's easier at a at if you're taller. No, and I, so there are more quarterbacks that are taller. But guess what? There's a lot of quarterbacks that are real dang tall that are not doing well. Case in point, Brock Osweiler. I mean, like, it, being tall does not no, equate to being good. There's like a horizon where, like, you couldn't be super successful in college I- unless you were that good at the position if you were short. I think like, that might be gets, a possibility. They all get yeah. weaned out before they get to that no, level. No, and, and I don't know if I said this yeah. on the pod or if I said this <laughs> just to one of you, you separately. I, I think that it's possible that Baker Mayfield's size becomes an advantage because at the college level you're forced instead of using just your athleticism and just your physical traits that are superior to your competition um, you're forced to understand coverages you're forced to um, understand throwing lanes and how to navigate your way through this game without and read the defense beforehand and throw right. people open and because throw you people know that into they're space. Um, he said that before. You're, you're forced to mentally navigate this game yeah. earlier than a lot of other top-level players. But, okay, so that may be true, and, like, he's mentally there right now, but 
how does that make a better case? That doesn't necessarily make a better case for Baker Mayfield, where Josh Rosen might not have had to do that, but he's smart enough. Certainly everyone knows Josh Rosen is smart. He could potentially do that in the future. And he's taller, and it's easier. Like, if you're in the NFL, you're going to have to make those reads, right? So it's going to be easier for Josh Rosen to make those reads. It might take him two to three years to develop that skill or ability that Baker Mayfield has developed in college because he had to. But how does that not make Josh Rosen the better prospect because he has equal arm talent, the smarts to do it, the ability to read the field to do it? Because if we're looking at a prospect as a prospect who there's unknowns, we can look at Baker Mayfield and say this is is more of a certainty because you've already kind of mastered this like level of thinking about the game and, and reading the coverages. And as much as we want to say Josh Rosen can definitely do it, we've seen over and over again prospects who we thought could definitely do it There's different not levels really of pan out. There's different levels of intelligence. So um, One thing you didn't touch on and like – I think is a really significant thing that everyone's talking about with um, Baker is his off the field, like antics and stuff. And while we were kind of joking about Johnny Manziel and those sort of things, like that's a real thing that people are talking about in equating him and pointing to his off the field issues. I've gone on the record multiple times on this podcast saying how much I value the leadership qualities and the rally around me type attitude that like a quarterback in my Mm -hmm. opinion, needs to have to be successful as an NFL quarterback. Like, what is the narrative around that with Baker, in your opinion? So there are kind of two things that people talk about. So there's the, like, kind of on-the-field fire with the planting the flag in the middle of the Ohio State field um, or grabbing his crotch at the Kansas fans, whatever. At the game that – that what's his face? Our GM yeah, was John attended. Dorsey. John Dorsey actually John attended. Dorsey loved it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what's amazing. Um, none of that bothers me. Like, like none of that reaches like a level of you have a problem. Like I, I see a guy who's who's fiery, who's aggressive, who's passionate, who has. I think it's a coping mechanism a little bit. Like he's a six foot tall quarterback who had to walk on at Texas A and M. Like. You've got to play with that kind of fire and edge chip on your shoulder, every yeah. single day if you're going to survive yep. in big-time college football. Like, he's gotten there. I think he'll, he'll mellow out with age a little bit, but even if he brings that to the NFL for the first, like, five years, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Yeah. Like, you're going to – he might be in some headlines, but he's not actually causing problems. They're, um, they're different issues than there was with other quarterbacks like Johnny right, Manziel. Right, like, and so so that's what I'm saying. Different. Is is it's different? And his off the field issue where he was arrested for public intoxication, like he was just walking down the street and was approached by a police officer, and he made a terrible decision to run away. <laughs> but admittedly, he was intoxicated, and people don't make good decisions when they're intoxicated. Like so, I can hardly blame him. Like he was walking down a street. That's hardly a... I could blame him for being a NCAA quarterback and running away from a cop. Like, I could blame him for that. That's I, pretty stupid. Sure, but, like, he he was a college kid who was intoxicated. Like, Mark, how many more things... Yeah, how like, many more dumb things did you do in college should than we, should this example? Should we delve example? into your background? No, we shouldn't. But I, <laughs> no, we absolutely shouldn't. But I would also argue vehemently that I have... I had... 
I would never, Less to lose. I would never run away from a police officer. That's just a stupid thing to do inherently, and that, that raises some red flags about his decision-making, like, long-term. Like, any... Like, you run away from a police officer and you get caught, like, the, the end result is way worse than you just, like, have a conversation and you uh, happen to be intoxicated. But, but you get an amazing video of a police officer just body slamming Baker Mayfield. It is awesome that a police officer caught Baker Mayfield. That's how drunk oh, he was. Yeah, he was so drunk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, if, if there were more of those incidents, if there were more reports right. about... Baker Mayfield, like, being, like, delinquent out in Stillwater. Not Stillwater. In Norman. Norman, Oklahoma. Um, I think that would concern me. It's a it's a one-time incident. He was, he admittedly made one bad choice in running away um, and owned up to it. I think it's way different than Johnny Manziel, who oh. had, who had a, a pattern of behavior um, even coming into this league and kind of a reputation that he embraced where jo- where Baker has come out and said, this isn't me, that was a terrible decision. Johnny like leaned into it and you could see that there there wasn't really this ideology that he should change. Well, I had a question, but you answered it. Um, my thing was like it, it, a similar pattern is that like when Johnny Manziel was coming out, there was f- pictures of him partying and like that sort of thing and like charge it like i don't even yeah. know if he'd ever been but it wasn't like it was about part i'm sure you could find countless numbers of pictures of baker mayfield partying if he's playing big time college football at a big time college football school like i'm sure he was a good bit but i think that you're exactly right it's the difference of um leaning into the persona or shying away from it and baker mayfield seems to um want to shy away from it and say like no i want something better for myself and i want something better for my future and i my, I will say, there's one thing. I know we're not supposed to be supporting your argument, Matthew, but the one thing about, like, the Baker Mayfield grabbing his crotch and, like, his fire and his passion. He got suspended from, like, starting that next game. He wasn't a captain. He wasn't a captain or whatever it was, and he didn't. And he, he went cried. In the game. It was senior ball. He cried at the press conference. Like, that's how much he cares about football. That's how much the dude loves football. Like, what more could you ask for from a person who has the skills and has the fire and has the passion and has the athleticism for someone who cries at a press conference in front of all of America. To, like to John, build to build off that point, he's the guy that like put his name in the ring for the senior bowl and went even though like his mom was sick and all this crap was going on. Like he's the competitive type of guy. Like yep. that builds that point even more clear. Okay, I think we've we've covered Baker Mayfield. Um, I, thank I, you, I, Matthew. I have I have two two comps. That I want to throw out. Okay. Just people who he reminded me of. I like that. And a lot of people have said these, so I'm, I, I don't pretend that these, okay. are, these are completely original. Um, but I, I said before, he, he reminds me so much of Russell Wilson. Um, the, the way that he, he does. The way that he moves in the pocket, the way that he uses his athleticism. I mean, they're similar size. Um, the way that he keeps his eyes downfield, uh, makes plays on the run. It's athletic, but pro style. Kind of very similar yep. to Russell Wilson, and if he comes in, it is Russell Wilson. I mean, a no-brainer number one pick, right? Like, yep. I would think so. Nobody, yep. nobody cares. He's also Brett Favre in the way I didn't talk a lot about the negatives I have on Baker Mayfield because I'm supposed to be making the case, but whew, you never quite feel calm with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. Like, he's wheeling dealing. You kind of take the good with the bad. It's a never say die with the play. He doesn't throw the ball away. 
he's he's running, he's dodging, he's heaving things up, and you're constantly on the edge of your seat, worried that it's fun. Either something great or something terrible is about to happen. Um, but Brett Favre did it, and it worked out really well. Hall of Fame career. I mean, it can happen. It's again. funny you most say that. It's most a playing style. Most interceptions of all time. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that's an accomplishment. Also, first ballot yeah. Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. most interceptions, sure. first ballot Hall no, of Famer. You have to be a heck of a football player to break that record. I mean, yeah, like, like, the Patriots have the most Super Bowl losses. Tied for the most Super Bowl yeah. losses. But like, you're, you know, like... You're pretty freaking you good get, to have you that record. There. Yeah. You kept playing. Yep. It's funny you say that, because that's what Scott McLuhan um, has comped him to, is Brett Favre. He yeah. reminds me of Brett Favre, and obviously was working with the Packers at the time that Brett Favre was there. Um, so I think we need to move on, and Mark, we're going to put you on the hot seat. Your assignment was to make the case for Sam Darnold. You have the floor, and you have your beer. Well, what I think about Sam Darnold is fundamentally, people talk about Baker Mayfield's athleticism, but Sam Darnold's athleticism is underrated. He is impeccable at throwing on the run, arguably better at throwing on the run than he does in the pocket sometimes. He makes those (laughs) crazy, accurate passes that you see Aaron Rodgers do where he's running around, he's scrambling, and he makes a play where he's running away from the play. He throws it, and he completes it in a window that you wouldn't believe anyone would ever be able to complete a pass. Um, those, Those times where you see Aaron Rodgers play football and you say, I can't believe I just witnessed the best pass I've ever seen in my entire life. Sam Darnold makes passes like that, um, which is one of the things that's super exciting about Sam Darnold. Um, So his athleticism. He's played wide receiver, he's played linebacker, um, and he was a point guard that was recruited pretty heavily going into college. In high school? In high school, yeah. He was recruited pretty heavily going into college. Um, So he's super athletic. And his grandfather, this is... Not so much hard evidence for why we should draft Sam Darnold, but his grandfather won a gold medal for the U.S. So in what? In uh, volleyball. Because um, the sport matters. He was a football player, but it was in volleyball. His sister is <laughs> his sister is all conference um, at U. I think it was USC for volleyball. Volleyball family. Um, his grandfather was also the Marlboro Man in all the Marlboro commercials. That which, matters which is to worthwhile. me. Which is <laughs> that matters to me. Which is something to note. I'm not saying that we should draft him because... He attracts people. Yeah. And it's in his blood. It's in his blood. He's a leader of men. Um, (laughs) Smoke cigarettes. Just do it. (laughs) Barbasol. Um, (laughs) No, not now. Not now. That's not a good time. Um, So his grandfather was the Marlboro Man. And so there's athleticism is in his blood. Um, He basically... He's really good at reading the whole field. You see him time and time again go through all of his progressions. He looks at all of his progressions in order, um, and he dumps it off on occasion, um, but not often. Um, he, like I was saying earlier, he can make spectacular throws, um, and most of the analysts who are watching him and trying to decide which quarterback they're going to take number one overall, GMs, when asked to comment on the quarterbacks, the, the conversation has been going on for a, couple, like for a year now. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. Everyone says Sam Darnold because he has the it factor. And whatever you, whatever you take that as, um, what the it factor means, whether you give it any credence or not, um, I don't know if you believe in it, but GMs all across the country say that they would pick Sam Darnold because he has the it factor. Um, and that's just that. That's the, exactly what you're saying about Baker Mayfield. It's that Brett Favre, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to do this because I want it more. 
Um, and it has its pluses and minuses, right? Like he's trying to be a hero. He squeezes it into tight spaces sometimes and it works out incredibly. And sometimes he's a little bit overconfident about his arm strength, his arm talent, his ability, and he throws an interception. Um, but he also, so, so like I was saying, he doesn't necessarily make the correct read all the time because he wants to go for the big play. But he has the ability to read the field. Uh, and we've, we, I've seen that time and time again. He reads the field better than, I think, Rosen at least. Um, so I think he has the athleticism. I think he just has a huge amount of upside. He's a, a tall guy. He's 6'3". Um, and he's just a mature NFL all right. mind. All right, you've just vomited for like five minutes and I'll let you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm still... USC, I, I assume their talent was pretty good. Why didn't they win more games if Sam Darnold's so good? Well, because their offensive line, they won more games two years ago. Their offensive line got a lot worse in the last year. And he was pressured. Zach, Zach Banner he was, he was pressured out of control, and he was scrambling on the pocket. He has really good pocket presence, pocket awareness. And he moves around the pocket and gets outside, and that's where you see some of those amazing throws that he's played. But he doesn't have time in the pocket like he did the year before. And that's why some of his stats were, were a lot worse. So I actually felt like USC overperformed based off their talent and that he kind of was the rising tide. Yeah. Um, I felt like they had pretty poor talent and did fairly well. Did you feel differently? I mean, I'm just thinking about the the guys that they've had. I mean, mean, how they recruit. Zach Banner came to the Browns. He was a fourth-round pick in the NFL draft. That's Don't forget about Juju. Juju Smith-Schuster was there. I mean, he came in and made an impact. You've got Ronald Jones, who's in the conversation to be a first-round pick. I forget the name of one of their receivers. I, I really like him. He's good. He's uh, got a crazy name. I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, he's a single-digit number. I forget who it is. Um, they've got talent, and, and maybe not top-level talent, but better than UCLA talent. I mean, they were 11-3. and three. They were in a BCS bowl game, but like, if you're but if you're in the conversation to be the number one pick, like you're a transcendent NFL talent. None of these UC, quarterbacks. UCLA have that. was trash last year. Well, well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, did you watch the UCLA Texas A&M game? Josh Rosen threw like six interceptions. No, no I no, know. No, 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 no. We'll get there. No, but what I'm, but what I'm saying <laughs> is like Sam Darnold had better talent than Josh Rosen did around him, and he won more games. Yeah, but like. Why weren't if if he's as good as like Andrew Luck when he was at Stanford, like nobody's gonna argue that Stanford had like transcendent NFL talent. They were winning football games and they were in top bowl games and they were contending for national championships. I don't know. Sam Darnold has never done that. I don't know the actual. No, but they were just as no 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 no. I think you're just. You are misrepresenting that because Stanford was in the same exact boat as USC was, but you just hold USC to a higher standard, and Stanford is at a lower standard. It literally was like the same exact like but level. I would, I would also they, argue they, they just played Ohio State, and what was the Rose Bowl this year? Like you're ten and three at a major conference. They won their division. They were eight and one in the conference. Like. I would also That's argue a very successful season as a as a quarterback in the Pac-12. That Stanford probably 
I don't know the actual players who are on the team, but Stanford probably had a better offensive line, just judging by Stanford historically and what their offensive lines have been blocking for Andrew Luck than Sam Darnold had last year blocking for him, which is a contributing factor. To so, so did you want to defend that a little bit before I move on? I disagree. I don't have Stanford's uh, like stats in front of me. I mean, do I, you really think Stanford was better than eleven and three during those Andrew Luck years? Like they weren't, and I mean, they were on the same playing field. They weren't national championship contenders. They were on the tier just below that, just like USC was. And but, I think USC is just held at a higher standard as a football program versus Stanford, and that's kind of what's. But leading so you in, in two thousand eleven, Stanford finished eleven and two. Um, Andrew Luck was the quarterback. Um, David Shaw was the quarterback. Stan- like USC was never in contention like this year. Like they finished eleven and three, which is fine. But if you're gonna be like a top level transcendent NFL talent, like if you're gonna move on to the next level and be the best player going forward. But like that's a, that's a I think that's you've got to be you've got to be argument. better than that. Like Aaron Rodgers, su- like Cal sucked, like whenever Aaron Rodgers was there, Cal like it just wasn't. That's not that you can't. It's based on the talent around him. You can't just like that's like I think that that's a narrow minded perspective. And there's obviously a ton of factors that we can't. Like, but I mean, I would in. make the same argument about Josh Allen. Like I think Josh Allen's garbage because Wyoming, like. It's like, garbage. He he didn't put up good numbers. And, like, I don't care about the talent around you. Like, if you're a transcendent talent, you're going to do something. And but the I problem keep, with that argument is that USC wasn't garbage. They, I just, keep, they just weren't. Yeah, they weren't. And I keep saying Rose Bowl, sorry for everyone. It was the Cotton Bowl that they played in against Ohio, Ohio State. State. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, I mean, anyway, if you're playing in one of those, like, Final Four games, like, you're you're – doing pretty well or just outside of it it was just outside of it i mean the cotton bowls one of those games that goes in rotation i think um at any rate my take on sam darnold and my biggest concern if the browns would ever draft him is the turnover issue like yeah i I think he and rosen like have thrown a similar amount of interceptions like if you look at their like touchdown interception ratio it's very similar the difference with darnold is the fumbles that you see and it was so loud and clear in that cotton bowl game that everyone was watching he fumbled it a million times it wasn't just once and you saw it over and over again and everyone's asking this question about how big his hands are i don't really care how big his hands are but like after watching a little bit of film on him, do you have any insight on why he might be fumbling as much as he is? Like, what? How do you defend that? So, w- one of the things that I noticed from watching his film was that he's very mobile in the pocket. And from I watch a lot of highlights and I watch a lot of lowlights, but he is shifty in the pocket, so he doesn't get hit directly in the pocket. He always avoids the contact. He senses it coming, and I think he moves just enough and his release isn't very good. He brings the ball super low whenever he's going to release the ball, which is a huge, like, when anybody, like, Tebow was coming out. That's all anybody could talk about mm-hmm. was that he brought the ball super low before he threw the ball. So his release isn't as fast as some other guys. Um, but he brings it down and then out. He brings it down and then out. And when mm-hmm. he just barely moves away from guys, and then he's bringing it down and out, and the ball's behind his back because he has limited, I think it's a, a like a, a 
in order to get the same power behind the ball, he doesn't have as much shoulder mobility. So he brings the ball all the way back, and then he steps through it. It's it's a it's a mechanics thing, I think, is the problem. And he gets good pop on the ball. Like, the ball flies, um, but it's with the caveat that he's throwing it in that direction, whereas some other quarterback, like, throwing it in that way, whereas some other quarterbacks, like, can just, like, hold it up high and just zip it over the top. That's not... That's not what Sam Darnold does. Didn't he have some? I mean, he had some like ten fumbles this year, right? It, which it was, which would combine for like, I didn't see the fumble metrics exactly, but he had thirteen interceptions, which was an uptick from the previous year. He he had a significantly worse year his sophomore year than his freshman year, um, which is largely attributed to his offensive line. Um, yeah, I'm concerned about the fumbles. That, that's my biggest concern with Sam Darnold, to be perfectly honest. Because that that's something that like follows people like and there's there's not like a clear metric explanation for like why it's happening or what but it does with running backs and like skill position players but I wonder how much it does with quarterbacks if like what Mark is alluding to that it's kind of a a you know the way he holds the football and some of his mechanics well I mean like they I need I to just... hold it with two hands in the pocket and if. If and he needs to start his release certain, higher. Yeah. If he doesn't like have as much of a loop in his like yeah. in his you know f- release, like yeah. I could see a situation where that could get better. But I don't know enough to know one way or the other whether like we have cases of drastic improvement in yeah. ball security from yeah. the quarterback position. Yeah, I want to go back to Stanford in 2010 with Andrew Luck. <laughs> <laughs> Finished 12-1, and one, and their only loss was to Oregon, who went on to play in the national championship against Cam Newton and Auburn and lost. So you've got Stanford, who has Andrew Luck and whoever else is on Stanford. Andrew Luck's better than Sam Darnold. No one's going to say, like, yes. Yes, Andrew Luck's better than Sam Darnold. Yeah, Andrew Luck's the, like, once every 10 or Andrew 20 Luck's years like, quarterback. Andrew Luck's like the dream case. Like, oh, I wish there was an Andrew We wouldn't Luck be having this, this conversation if Andrew Luck yeah, was in this draft. We wouldn't be all right. like, which quarterback is it if it was Andrew Luck? Like, yes, Andrew We're Luck's talking better. about the next tier, basically. Is all of these quarterbacks are on the next tier. All right, Mark, what tier, like, what recent quarterback, not maybe, like, style of play, but, like, level of... Comps? Are you asking for comps? No, not, not a comp, but, like, a, a caliber of prospect would you put Sam Darnold at? I honestly think if Sam Darnold wasn't a quarterback, like if he was just like a pro, like he's like a second round prospect, but he's a quarterback, so it's completely different and has a potential to be. I would probably relate him. You know what? You know who I relate him to? Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. I think that's fair. It's not terrible. Because he does, like, he just wants to make the play every single time. And he doesn't make great decisions. He has the ability to read the field, and he has the ability to be a great quarterback, but he doesn't always make the right decision. I think that's a good call. Because he wants to toss it farther than he needs to. He doesn't want to check down. He wants to toss it a little bit farther. Okay. That's, like someone who we've actually seen a good bit of. Yeah, I mean, I think I think teams would be hesitant to draft Jameis Winston number one overall. At this point. Four years. As a Browns hindsight. fan, as a Browns fan, would you take Jameis Winston? I mean, yeah, I would, but if I had Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota choice, I'd take I mean, Mariota. I mean, would you take Jameis Winston that's not stealing crab legs? Which is what Sam Darnold is? 
<laughs> am I am I wrong? Well, I mean, James Winston had a few other character flaws <laughs> going into the league, but um, like played for Florida State. Yeah, to name one, was accused of rape, which was pretty substantial. Accused. Um, That's a totally different thing. But. I mean, yeah, I, w- I would take a Jameis Winston without the crab legs incident, but I would still take Marcus Mariota over him. So if, if we can find a Marcus Mariota in this draft, I'd I would take no, a Jameis no, no, Winston no. So, with the crab legs incident. I don't care about the crab legs. Like, Jameis Winston is better than Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah. Um, but anyway, moving on. Michael, um, give us your best case for why the Browns should draft Josh Rosen number one overall. First, I need to share the most interesting fact I found about Josh Rosen is his his given name is Joshua Ballinger Lippincott Rosen. Wow, Ballinger Lippincott. (laughs) Joshua Ballinger Lippincott Rosen. Did you get any? If that doesn't tell you something about like that's incredible, what kind of family this guy comes from? Like he's got some some history, some (laughs) some heritage. Um, in in his background. Hey, Johnny Manziel comes from a lot of money too. Speaking more Boy, about his you. speaking more about his background is um the guy. A lot of people talk about how he's not that athletic and has a hard time like moving around the pocket. He's kind of a statue. That's kind of his rap. He was a top ranked tennis prospect as a kid. Like the kid can move around side how to side. He's tall and he's lanky. When he was in high school, I'm pretty sure. Nice. Um, he was a top. 10 junior tennis player is the stat that I heard at some point. So I really don't know. He's got the lateral movement. Yes, the lateral movement side to side clearly is there. tall and how long his arms are probably have a significant reason for that. Yeah, but, I mean, you can't be, like, you have to be fairly athletic to be be a successful tennis player. So that was an interesting little nugget. Um, For my research, I basically watched three games. I watched that first game, which – everybody has heard about against Texas A&M where they were down a crazy amount of points. It was actually 30. It's hard to even fathom this. They were down 38 to 10 at halftime. And then Texas A&M scored early in the second half to make it 44 to 10. And UCLA came back. I remember watching the first half of that game and giving up on it. Yeah. Like back in the fall. Yeah. And, I mean, it was week one. Texas A&M, or I mean, that was like I did with the Boise State, um, the Statue of Liberty play. Oklahoma play? Oklahoma play, yeah. yeah. You guys were watching it downstairs in the living room. I was up here playing Madden at like <laughs> 10. It was the biggest mistake of my life. I still think about it when I go to sleep at night. Uh, I actually remember that. Matthew and I were sitting right on the couch watching the game. I remember. So, I mean, this game was insane. I, I mean, 44-10, to 10 and, they came, and Rosen led them back to the game. His stat line on the day was 35-59. Almost 500 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mark tried to attribute six interceptions to him on this game earlier in the podcast. Wait, the A&M game? The A&M game, he had zero interceptions. He had a great game. Honestly, it wasn't his fault they were down as much as they were at the beginning of the game. His, his offensive line was miserable in the first half and started to pull it together a little bit more and give him some more protection in the second half. What you see with Josh Rosen throughout the whole season is – an incredible amount of accuracy over the middle of the field. Like, he has guys going up the seam and in crossing routes, and he puts the ball on the money where it needs to be, allowing his receivers to make some plays after the catch. He doesn't have the best receiving core, and he has a really terrible offensive line, but he puts those guys in great position to succeed. And 
when you, after watching a whole season of Deshaun Kaiser, to think about a quarterback that is able to put the ball where it needs to be is like a very welcome invitation from my perspective. I mean, really puts the ball on the numbers. They didn't ask him to throw the ball outside the hash marks all that often. Like, as I'm watching tape on the three games I watched, I didn't really see a whole lot of cases of him throwing an out route or throwing anything on the boundary. But when he's throwing it to the backs and when he's throwing it over the middle, he has an incredible amount of accuracy. The the one thing you do see on a regular basis, and maybe this is showing a little bit of a knock versus like trying to make the best case for him, is um, he tends. He, you could see the effect of his poor offensive line on his like psyche as the season went on. Like he seemed to have a lot more confidence at the beginning of the season and started to retreat a lot more near the end of the season, and his footwork and his mechanics really suffered as a result. And he'd throw some off-balance throws that led to a few of the interceptions that you saw. We talked about how like he and Ro- and Darnold have a similar number of uh, interceptions. And the really the gem of his season, though, was that primetime game against USC where everyone was watching him and Darnold. It was by far his best game from what I saw. I mean, he was throwing balls with anticipation, throwing his guys open. Like, they were playing from behind. He was, like, bringing the team back into the game. And it was clear that you saw Josh Rosen, like, keeping UCLA alive. Like, that's what you want to see from your quarterback. You want to see him raising the level of and the competitiveness of the team as a whole. And you saw that in that game. Under the bright lights, on the road, against their rival, like – I love the competitiveness and what you see from him. Now, there's a bunch of knocks, right? So there's things that people don't like about Josh Rosen. Some of those things are his attitude off the field. He's a little bit, like, atypical in his outspokenness. Well, guess what? He has an opinion. and I he's like, his, I love his attitude. Yeah, it's like, exactly like you would be if you were a quarterback. Oh, no, for sure. <laughs> I, I love the fact that he doesn't fit the mold. Because what he does isn't actually, like, causing problems it's not problems for problems sake like people hear him talk about the ncaa and how it's not fair that athletes aren't paid and whatnot and he comes from a family where his mom's like a neurosurgeon and his dad is yeah they're very well and like but he he thinks about other people other than himself and he's he's not this like selfish like look at me type of person if, if you're going to knock him for, for having independent thoughts, then, like, go screw yourself. Like, you, you don't actually want a person. You want somebody right. you can control. And someone that fits, like, a particular, like, described box that you, like, think a quarterback needs to be. Yeah, and that's not how people work. Right. Like, <laughs> like do you really want to follow somebody that, like, is just, like, following directions? Yeah. Or do you want to follow someone that, like, actually, like, thinks for themselves? Yeah, and, yeah. like, you hear the stories from his freshman year – um, of him putting an like an pool. inflatable pool in his dorm room. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm all about that. Like, like you can say that's like a character flaw, whatever. He's an 18 year old kid who decided and figured out the logistics of in- filling up a swimming pool in his dorm room. That shows initiative in my book. Okay, the real question is, how did he get the inflatable pool filled with water out of his dorm room without damaging any property? If he, if he did that, if he did that without causing any water damage, then dear goodness, let's draft this guy because he is thoughtful and he is kind. Like, like 
That is the real. And question. he knows how to start a siphon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's competent in physics. Yeah. Um, so I mean, there's a handful of things that people complain about. I think the next thing on the line is probably injuries. Like the guy, he missed his sophomore, a good portion of his sophomore season with a shoulder injury, and he missed the last portion of this past season, his junior year, with a concussion. He has kind of a thin frame. I mean, he's 6'4", 218, which is not much more than Matthew is. 40 pounds more than me. <laughs> they look similar, though. Very tall, very lanky. You watch him and you see, like, Mike Glennon. Like, he looks like Mike Glennon to me. Yeah. Like, no, the way like... he moves around the pocket, like, it's a little bit lanky. Like, he doesn't... But Mike Glennon's, like, 6'7". Six... Mike Glennon's significantly taller than him. Yeah. But the way they move and, like, the way that they're built is very, very yeah. similar, in in my opinion. Um, so so I, I think that's a legitimate concern. Like, And there's no way to know whether he is going to be, like, a healthy quarterback going forward into the NFL. So I have two questions, I yes. guess, and, and they're linked. My first question is, this year UCLA went 6-7. and seven. In, the Pac, this, yeah. in the Pac-12, yeah. the Pac-12 wasn't great. They had some good teams. Mackie wants winners. That, that would be losses. Why did UCLA lose that many games? Is Jim Moore that bad of a head coach? Um, and then secondly... Are his injuries his fault, or is it because his offensive line stinks and he's just getting pounded? I would point to both of those things and point the finger at the offensive line in a lot of ways. Like I felt sorry for the guy in a lot of these plays where he's either thrown an interception or made a bad decision. Like You see guys just coming completely untouched, like unabated at the quarterback. And he's got a guy that's about to come open, but he doesn't have a chance to actually hit him. And he's stepping up into the pocket to make a play like you would want him to do, and he still just gets blasted and fumbles the ball. Like, yes, he fumbled the ball, but what are you really expecting from this kid? And so I made the case on that USC game. They lost that game, but every single person that walked away from that game said Josh Rosen is clearly the better quarterback prospect versus Sam Darnold at this point in time. Like, you can put Josh Rosen into an NFL game, and he could do what it takes to win an NFL game. Sam Darnold, you have more question marks about. Like, no one walked away from that game, and they lost it because he didn't have the talent around him to to do what it took. But no one questions that Josh Rosen has the ability to lead a team. Now, it did not show up in the wins and losses. I don't think there's any way to argue that, like, he it's, – it's, it's definitely an uphill battle for him that he has to fight against. But to me, it's the supporting cast and nothing else. Um, now that we've had a little bit about all three quarterbacks, we're going to go around and I'm going to say who I actually want us to pick number one overall. Because um, this is a little bit of an act, right? Like we, we, is, we, assigned these, we assigned these quarterbacks and wanted to make the best case that we possibly could, and give we, it a fair shake, actually look at each one of them objectively. Yeah, like we're their mom. Who also loves football? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I'm sure their moms love football. Yeah, but so I want I want Baker Mayfield, and the reason why I want Baker Mayfield is because I think he has all of the intangibles of the things that I heard about Sam Darnold of him having like the it factor. I think Baker Mayfield has in like an exponent of a hundred over Sam Darnold. Like Baker Mayfield's teammates just glow about him. 
nonstop. There's not anyone who's around Baker Mayfield that doesn't say he's a leader of men. And I think that that is what the actual it factor is when you're competing at an NFL level. When you can get the people around you, like you guys were saying, and raise their level of play up higher because you want to win so badly. And also his numbers, just like his raw numbers are better. And you can argue that it's about the Big 12 defenses that he was playing. Um, But like his completion percentage, his yards, um, everything, like he just was the better quarterback. His touchdown to interception ratio. Um, and he's gotten better every year that he's yes. played. I think which that's a significant said, thing. Which can't be said about Sam Darnold, who digressed. Or Josh Allen. Or Josh Allen, who digressed um, <laughs> in their last two years. Um, anyway, I say, I say Baker Mayfield. Michael. All right. Um, I have to say that I don't feel <laughs> truly any different about Josh Rosen now that I've studied him in, a, in more in depth than I did ahead of time. So my actually my inclination going into this oh, was was Baker Mayfield or um, Darnold. or Sam Darnold, and that really hasn't changed. Like studying Josh Rosen in depth did not necessarily make me like him. I'm legitimately concerned about injury questions with him going forward, and I just don't see the like massive upside. With Josh Rosen, I think you plug him in next year, and he's probably the most successful of any of the three. But I think long term over a career is probably not as successful as the other two. And so my him. take, and like I, I'm gonna like have a nuanced answer he here. He is I, Eli Manning. I see him going to the Giants. He's very similar to Eli Manning. If you had asked me for a comp, that's probably what I would go with. Um, which is not bad. The guy's won two Super Bowls and has you know kind of had an up and down career, but. I'd take two Super Bowls with the Browns. There's no doubt about it. No doubt. Um, and we'd make a nice statue of him, and we would kiss his feet and do every – I mean, oh, it'd no be doubt. great. So, honestly, um, I would be honestly okay with Baker Mayfield, and I think I would get more excited with him. But Sam Darnold is perfectly okay with me if we're willing to be patient and coach around his skill set. The biggest thing that scares me with taking Sam Darnold is that Hugh Jackson's our head coach, and he just completely botched a first year with Deshaun Kaiser. And I'm worried about taking a guy like Sam Darnold that needs a little bit of coddling and having that completely botched with a head coach like Hugh Jackson. And so given the coaching staff we have right now, I think my pick is Baker Mayfield, but I think if I had a coaching staff I felt more confident in, uh, in managing the quarterback position, I think I'd prefer Sam Darnold. My turn. I'm going to throw a wrench in this. I I would take Eli Manning in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take I'll take Josh Rosen all day because because of exactly like the things that Michael talked about in that uh, he. He makes the throws. He stands in the pocket. He's he's got the presence. He um, reads the defense. Like as much as I complained about like team quality, I I think that has a huge effect. Not necessarily when it comes to numbers, but when it comes to wins. Like you you can't win games as a quarterback by yourself. Like football's a team game. You you can complete passes by by yourself oftentimes. Um, I would, I'd think my number one quarterback right now is Josh Rosen. I'd take 
uh, Baker Mayfield number two, and Sam Darnold's my number three because, and he may turn out to be the best quarterback of the group, but he's so raw. He made like, some terrible Darnold, decisions. He Darnold Sam is. Darnold, watching he's, him play the game, like it's like it's like a dumb Brett Favre. Yeah, like he could it's be bad. He could be the best quarterback in NFL history, or he could be. or he could be absolutely useless. And I currently gotta, don't know enough to be able to tell the difference. Like if you <laughs> give if you give Baker Mayfield to Bill or sorry Sam Darnold to Bill Belichick, like he's, he's going to be great. incredible. But if you give him to Hugh Jackson, I think that it, it might not be the case. Exactly. And then like exactly another like coach in year two, like, it just is scary to me to yeah, think it's a about tough situation. what the future could hold in that situation. Yeah. I think I think the Browns are best off drafting right, so Josh here's, Rosen. Here's the question: Plug and play Josh Rosen into our team right now. Say we draft uh, Minka Fitzpatrick on the defense, or no, let's be fun. Let's say we draft Saquon Barkley at number let's four. Let's be fun. I actually That's think not that, I actually think that makes us worse. No. I think I think we're more likely to win games. No, but Minka. as far as as far as Josh Rosen, like being able to be a productive quarterback in the NFL, how many games do the Browns win next year? Assuming we like having a good having I mean, a good running back helps him. I mean, there's there's a lot of assumptions. Assuming we sign some defensive free agents because we wouldn't have any offensive free agents to sign. Assuming we draft a couple of, like decent defensive players who have good seasons. And assuming that quarterback was our biggest need from last year, and it's the reason we lost uh, so many games. With Josh Rosen, I think our our max is the highest, and I I think it's like seven and nine. Seven and nine. We have a tough schedule next year. Just looking at it, it's a little bit scary to like tick off potential wins. Mm. Um, yeah, we have the fifth toughest schedule next year. It's right now. It always changes though. Like yeah, it's it's kind of a stupid exercise to look at ahead of time. Anyways, but nevertheless, for having the worst record in the league, that's a bum rap. That is. Yeah, that's it's, a bum rap. It's a crap deal. Um, so what do you mean? what do you think? All right, take Baker. What do you? Assuming all of the, the best-case scenario take with Baker, Baker what do you plug got? and play. Yeah. He's playing all, sure. every single game. Um, I'm going to say 5-11. and 11. Okay, Michael, you get Darnold, your boy. No, but I don't want Darnold to play okay. next year. So, like, but like if we so, take Darnold, like, legitimately, the only situation in which I right, want you, us to take Darnold, Darnold is if Tyra we Taylor. have, right. have Tyrod Taylor. All right, right, who do we got? Yes. Sam Bradford. I say 8-8 eight and eight with Tyrod Taylor. Okay, would That's would Tyrod would, would Tyrod play all eight games or all sixteen games or would hopefully would, okay, but he wouldn't unless he got hurt. Yeah, we'd have a Nathan Peterman situation. I mean, it, it's a tough. I don't. I I said this before we started recording. I think I would be happy and could be very happy with any of the three quarterbacks. Any of those options, like I, I think I could I mean, get you'll, excited. You'll talk yourself into it. Well, <laughs> I have there's no, no doubt. <laughs> there's no doubt that I'll talk myself into it. But I also think that if the front office is planning to build around those quarterbacks, like and build around the guy and the plan that they select, like we can be successful with any of those three paths. It's just a matter of which one we choose to go down. Yeah, I I just worry about the path, the the ability of our team to to mold itself around the the quarterback that we've chosen. 
Um, from the coaching perspective. From the coaching perspective. I, I really like having um, Scott McLuhan. Michael, we yeah. recently signed Scott McLuhan to be, I don't really remember what his title is, special assistant consultant, for, consultant for player personnel or something like that. Um, he's going to work with us through the draft. How do you feel about that? I'm okay with it. I think more experience, the better. He clearly has a good relationship with John Dorsey. I like that. I do become concerned, though, at a certain point with how many strong voices there are in the front office. So now you've got Scott McLuhan, you've got John Dorsey, you have Alonzo Highsmith, you have Elliot Wolf. There's a lot of cooks you in have, the kitchen. And you have Andrew Barry. Like, I think it's pretty clear that John Dorsey's calling the shots here, but, like, I don't know the dynamics there well enough to know, like, how this is going to work. Because, like, how does a guy that's only there temporarily through the draft, like, really have a say at the table versus guys that are employed full-time, like Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf? To me, in some ways, as even though it's great that you have a guy that has GM experience, ha- is well-respected as a talent evaluator, like, in a vacuum, I think it's best if you have the most of those guys in the in the same room. But in reality, in the world that we live in, where there are like politics at play and egos, egos and all of that, like it concerns me. Yeah, in, like, in a like, significant way, it concerns me. Like, like I, I don't know any of these people, but Elliot Wolf is mid thirties, kind of a, an up and comer. If he gets, if his opinion gets usurped by, say, something Scott McLuhan says, and John Dorsey takes Scott McLuhan's opinion over Elliot Wolf's, like, what message does that send? Right, and this, he's, this dude who's here for, for, Scott for four gonna weeks, leave. right? Yeah, and, exactly. And Andrew Barry, all of a sudden, like, is in in some ways, is the fourth or fifth guy on the totem pole when he was the top guy on the totem pole from a personnel perspective, or second guy on the totem pole. <laughs> from a personnel perspective, you know, a few months ago. So it, these things are all concerns to me. I don't believe we have a healthy environment inside our front office. And, like, they are healing probably at the moment. And so th- these are my concerns. And I, if, if everything's going well and a good, um, you know, dynamic between all of these people is being fostered, I think that's great. But anything I've heard about John Dorsey is that that's not really, like, a top priority of his. Like, camaraderie and, like, everyone, like, being on the same page is not of it, you know, of the utmost concern to him. He just wants to make the right decisions. Which I have to argue that isn't indicative of the success of a company because that is exactly how Jeff Bezos feels at Amazon. It is a cutthroat company, and they are very successful. Um, But Scott McLaughlin... McLuhan. Like McLuhan. McLuhan, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it really looks like McLaughlin uh, when you're reading it. Scott McLuhan's, his... Uh, we'll just let that go. Just, just let it go. <laughs> Names, faces, they're not my strong suit. Reading. Um, <laughs> Calendars. <laughs> okay, reading? Grandfather's weddings. Yeah, no, no, reading, not important. Whatever. Reading, reading, I would argue that reading, I don't think that that's McLuhan. Uh, I, that, I, that is a hill I, I, I might die on, and I might literally die on that hill. But I don't think that that says McLuhan. I, I made the statement. Let's let no. it go. We're gonna let it go. It just no, no, continue. No. no, let's talk this out. It's okay. Let's talk this out. 
Sound that out phonetically. Does that say McLuhan? I don't. I don't really know how the the O U G H A N makes a that's noise. A co- that's confusing. <laughs> and like, I would like to test myself to be like borderline dyslexic. Like, I want to. I want to take that badge. Um, but McLuhan, I don't know if that's what that says. But anyway, his previous draft picks. How do you guys feel? Like, so a lot of the things that I was reading about Sam Darnold was people attributing him to an Alex Smith based on his arm strength in passing the ball downfield. And Scott McLuhan picked Alex Smith number one overall. Do you, and how much credence is John Dorsey going to give Scott McLuhan in their decision-making process? Um, but, like, I've heard Sam Darnold be akin to an Alex Smith in pushing the ball downfield. I, I don't know. So that's, that is, gives a little bit more credence towards Michael's perspective of maybe wanting to pick um, Sam Darnold. I mean, I I don't know about that comparison. Um, that's the that's the first I've heard of it. Um, I I wanted Scott McLuhan to be your general manager before we hired John Dorsey, um, because of his history with the Seahawks. Um, he contributed a lot to kind of the foundation of the 49ers when they made that Super Bowl run. Um, I think Scott McLuhan is a tremendous talent evaluator. Um, He's, he's had some, some personal issues that have made it not work out to be a general manager. Um, and then he worked for Dan Snyder, which is a personal issue in and of itself, <laughs> um, which didn't work out. And But I, I think he's a NFL – he's one of the top 32 talent evaluators in the NFL, arguably one of the top 10. Um, so having him in the building I think is great. I just – I kind of share some of the hesitations that Michael has. I hope – John Dorsey is able to manage the politics of it and listen to the collective over some of the individual voices. Yeah. Because I, I think having five people in there is only valuable if you're willing to listen to the crowd. Yeah. And and not... It's not going to be helpful if you only listen to Scott McLuhan and ignore True. the other True. people. And it, it seems like we've like overcorrected the exact opposite direction from what our organizational structure was. Like <laughs> Welcome two to years Cleveland. Ago. Like, like it's like two years ago. It was like, all right, we have a very clear organizational structure, which seems like the logical thing to do. Like, if you don't know who you're directly reporting to or who's making the decision, I mean, obviously it's still John Dorsey. But the org, the, the org structure is still the same though, because Hugh Jackson still reports to freaking Jimmy Haslam. Yeah. It's just the player personnel department that has added all these people. Like yeah. you've got John B. Tedesta, D. Podesta, and and Kovacs are over on the side yeah. actually, in the strategy side, which it's is very wild confusing. to me. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. Like we definitely overcorrected. Like people talked about there only being Sashi Brown and Andrew Barry in the player personnel department, which fair. I'm sure there are other people like down the totem pole that aren't. But, like, like people, about, people but... who are super pissed about that, like, tell me how those drafts were bad. Like, tell me how those players haven't performed. It's just not the case. They have. They'll make the argument that we skipped players instead of the argument that we missed on the players that we took, which which I think is a fallacy. Like, you can't, it's BS. You can't evaluate the drafts on the to... players that are were skipped. There's extra picks that have been accumulated that we still haven't picked yet from those draft classes. Like, it just it pisses me off. Anyway, we're... Closing up. We're running out of time. Um, any closing thoughts on quarterback, Michael, Matthew? That's been the main focus of this podcast. I just want one. Let's talk about Josh Allen. 
I you just oh. want a quarterback. Tell me who you don't want, Matthew. Josh, Josh freaking Allen. <laughs> and so here's the thing. I'll, I'll give you like a hot five minutes yeah. on Josh Allen here. Welcome to Matthew's hot take <laughs> regarding Josh Allen. Is it five hot five, five hot minutes? I think it's five hot Something minutes. Something like that. I'll give you five it's hot minutes. about three and a half. Yeah, not even that. It's like two. Come on, give um, me a hot one and a half. Minute, <laughs> give me a hot one and a half minutes. On Is Josh that about par for the course at the homestead? Yeah, it's pretty much. <laughs> a hot one and a half minutes. Very passionate. Um, how do you talk yourself into Josh Allen? Like, Josh Allen has played for two years. So he's got the knock of Sam Darnold that he doesn't have the experience. He has his stats are terrible. He threw for eighteen hundred yards this season, um, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. Baker Mayfield threw for like forty four hundred. Like it, it's a factor of three. Um, he plays in Wyoming, so like if you're gonna argue that he should be drafted high, like his stats are gonna have to be ridiculous. Like people talk about him as Carson Wentz Carson Wentz like put up numbers and succeeded at the level that he was playing at Josh Allen has not succeeded at the level that he's playing at to the any level of that plus he completes 56 percent of his passes have you seen him Matthew have you seen what he looks yeah, like he's six foot five and he's got a baby face like I don't care he's so tall he's even taller than you are Matthew he is he's an inch taller than me but for me, it's the same thing that we did with it's the same thing we did with Christian Hackenberg to some extent. Same thing we did with Jamarcus Russell. Same thing we did with Ryan Leaf. Same thing we did. I, I mean, I know a lot of those people. Ryan have Leaf's a lot of problems things. were a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Ryan Leaf, he had the most fantastic tweet related no, to Mel Kuyper's mock. Yes. So Kuyper a few weeks ago, whatever, in his first mock, put Josh Allen number one to the Browns yeah. and. It was probably more clickbait than anything else, but he did it, and somebody made the comment, and Ryan Leaf tweeted to like ESPN's, you know, like mock draft, Josh Allen number one to the Browns. He goes, "Well, he did think that the Colts should take me ahead of Peyton Manning, so <laughs> there's that." Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe he's not the best. Yeah, nothing better than someone who can look back at it and laugh. But here's the thing, is that I haven't heard a single convincing argument for Josh Allen other than just kind of the, the like, circuitous, like, everybody's talking about Josh Allen, so Josh Allen must be, like, a top-level quarterback. His he, agent's really good. His agent must be great. He had a, a pretty good sophomore season at Wyoming where he showed flashes and then didn't prove it. He actually, got worse. he actually got he, he worse. He actually got worse. Digressed, right? for like, sure. The, the narrative coming into this year was this guy could vault himself into yeah. the conversation as the top quarterback, yeah. and everyone was waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. It never happened. In fact, and it got worse. Everybody just pretended that it did. It digressed. <coughs> it digressed from there. Oh. Well, so, all right. I will I will be oh, Johnny more hot minutes with Matthew. I will be Go. Johnny Manziel mad if we draft Josh Allen. Yeah, if there's going to be any validity Like like as mad podcast. as I was when we drafted Johnny Manziel, I will be that mad if we draft Josh Allen because we have been given the opportunity to right all of our wrongs with a number 1 pick and a stacked quarterback class. 
I think I'll be more and mad. And we're gonna make oh, the I'll be worst more mad. possible. Number one decision. overall. If, if if it's gonna give you any validity to our podcast at all, I just want you guys to know that me, my brothers, and my dad were all standing in front of a TV at Michael's house in Jacksonville with the twenty second overall pick, saying under our breath. Please not Johnny Manziel. Please not Johnny Manziel. Please not Johnny Manziel. I think we were hoping Teddy. Yeah. We wanted Teddy. All of us wanted Teddy. Yeah. At that point. Yep. So, so Josh Allen, like, go to yeah. the Jets. You're you're built for the Jets, man. It would be great. Although people around the league are saying that Josh Allen is built for the Browns. Why? I understand that. People say that, but I've never actually hear a convincing like argument to support that statement. Why, why is he built for the Jets? Because the Jets draft bad quarterbacks? Yes. The Browns draft bad quarterbacks. Like, the, the same argument. All right, like, fair. Um, okay. All right. With that terribly somber, sad, sad note, we're not going to do it this year. We are going to close out the podcast. Um, we would like to thank Michael for moving up here to Nashville so he can be in studio. Um, it's great to have him around. And we would also, most of all, like to thank Barbasol. The Brand America Trust for a close shave now has razors. Premium, disposable razors. With an advanced pivoting head and ultra-thin blades, you're looking good, America. Um, thanks so much to Barbasol. Uh, Matthew had a cold glass earlier, and he's feeling really loopy and angry. Cold glass of Barbasol. <laughs> Matthew's favorite drink. It's got a nice head to it. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't drink Barbasol, people. Shake your face with it. Yeah. All right, everybody. It's been fun. Thanks so much, guys. Go Browns. Go Browns.